Dustin Martin returned to spark up the Tiger Army. Patrick Cripps led a thrashing of Adelaide. Port powered up to keep Ken's 5-5 five and five dreams alive, while Melbourne remained both in second gear and undefeated. Hello and welcome to the Round Review, brought to you by Footy Live with Round 8 in the books. I'm joined by Footy Live's resident expert and resident sad boy, Nick Lumio. Now, how are you feeling with Round 8 in the books, mate? Uh, I've had better weeks, put it that way, weekends, put it that way, Gordo. Um, just, I'm just happy just to move on from round eight, never speak of it again. And, uh, just, yeah, I want to get this over and done with real quick. Fair enough, then. Then we'll crack into your hero. Let's get positive. Let's get cheery. Yeah, well, one of the bright spots, I think, for the weekend were just how dominant the key forwards were, to be honest. Um, and I, I think we spoke about it last year. Uh, I'm an advocate for the tall forwards, and I think the game is better off with them, and certainly when they're up and firing. And Charlie Curnow was certainly doing that on the weekend. Both Carlton uh, forwards were actually Mackay and uh, Curnow. Uh, yeah, Adelaide just didn't have an answer for them at all. Um, but yeah, Curnow's Curnow's performance in particular: six goals, three, uh, twenty-one disposals, twenty of which were kicks. 15 of them were score involvements, and he took 10 clunks as well. They are some serious Wayne Carey numbers there. Like the, the bag of goals, the 20-odd disposals, the everything he touched turned to gold, and the double-digit in marks as well. Um, I, I want to mention Tom Lynch as well because I think he put up similar numbers uh, too. So credit to both of them. The, the game's better off with them, and you, you can see it in the crowd as well. I mean, the, the game was done and dusted in the last quarter, it has to be said. Carlton absolutely blew Adelaide away. Um, but it looked like for a moment that Carlton weren't going to kick a last quarter goal. Um, so you can forgive some Carlton supporters for leaving early when the game was done and dusted. Um, but for the ones that stuck around... Charlie Kerno kicks two of his last goals uh, in the last couple of minutes, and the reaction from the crowd it was this: it was if, as if um, Carlton had just kicked the winning goal for the game because everyone was on their feet. Um, it, the excitement they they blew the lid off uh, off Marvel Stadium. So yeah, I mean it, it's great to see when the key forwards are dominating and. Yeah, I think yeah, Carlton supporters will be loving that partnership up forwards. Um, yeah, they, they've obviously got two gems up there now, so exciting times to be a Blues fan. Absolutely, and even more exciting because they're back in the top four, which does raise a few questions. We know, as you said, they like to blow the lid off Marvel Stadium. They also like to blow the lid off just their expectations in general. Yeah. Are Carlton fans getting ahead of themselves with their top four ambitions, or do they look like a legit Deep finals contender to you, mate. Look, top four is maybe a bit of a stretch, but they've definitely got the capability to do so. They've got they've got all the pieces to be a very good team. Just whether they can put that all together, and uh, we've we've certainly seen signs this year that they can, uh, but also some signs that I mean, some signs of uh, the Carlton of old as well. But yeah, it's whether they can just keep the keep that sort of form going all season um, consistently. Do I think they they will? Um, probably not. Uh, I think they're definitely a top eight side. They'll definitely be playing finals, uh, but maybe not top four. I don't think I'm on that um, bandwagon yet. Yeah, 
And I think fair enough too. They're yet to w- beat a side with a winning record, which suggests where they are at. They're a top mm-hmm. eight side. You beat the sides below you. You won't beat the ones above you. You should be at seventh or eighth, and you get to play some funnels, which the Blue Beggars will love. Yep. A side that I don't think will be playing funnels is the Dons, but they didn't care on the weekend. They had a barnstorming win over the Hawks, which we will lament in good time, but uh, mostly due to big two-man Peter, two-metre Peter Wright in a six-goal bag. And I think uh, earlier in the year we called for him to be a bit more consistent quarter to quarter. He Mm. did that. He kicked one in each of the first three, and then he kicked three in the last to just seal it off for the Dons. And uh, he did it smartly. So after the the game, he was um, talking up the fact that he had a plan to take out Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. Jack Frost likes to play deeper here. So I'm going to take him downtown. I'm going to take him for a run around. I'm going to wear him out. And then I'm going to capitalize late in the game. That's exactly what he did. And it showed that big men, they don't need dropped on their head. They can actually, you know, play some tactics, play some interesting football. And mm-hmm. it was probably the first time in uh, Peter Wright's career we've seen him, you know, A, show dominance across a whole game and start to show dominance week on week. So, we're eight games into the season. He's probably only had one quiet one. He's already kicked uh, 23 goals in those eight games. So a massive, uh, yeah, output mm. for a very young key forward. And as we said, it's the almost the year of the key forward. We've got an actual race on our cards for the Coleman medal. And we've actually got a tally that might be, you know, 80, 80 goals this year. So despite the fact that you hate the result of this game, it's very exciting to see the tall mm. men back and, and doing what they do the best, which is kick giant bags. Yep, yep, no, definitely, and he, yeah, like you said, he was unstoppable. We had no answer for him at all, but um, again, like when, when the key forwards are dominating, the, the crowd loves it, and um, yeah, it's fair to say the Essendon fans were up and about as well, so congratulations to them. So we'll pull the bandaid off, we'll get into our low lights, we'll change the, uh, the script slightly so you can get it out of the way. Your low light, obviously, Hawthorne's loss, and in particular, the fourth quarter capitulation. But I want to rewind mm. just a little bit, because mm. you've been nervous all week about this. You were nervous on the Friday show, saying that, oh, I don't know, it's just this game, Essendon, they give yeah. me the heebie-jeebies. Then there was rumours that her junior would be playing in this game, to which you basically said, it's a loss, I'm done, yeah. despite <laughs> the fact that they got five key outs just moments before the game. And then obviously... The worst mm. situation happened for you in terms of the result of this game. So, so talk me through the the journey that was Saturday night. Yeah, well, you can never be too sure when you're going in a game against your arch rival, which was me last week, and especially Essendon of all teams, because I feel like whenever there's an opportunity for Essendon to be to put in a fairy tale performance, uh, they usually do it. So. Yeah, when, when there was rumours that, you know, a virus had spread through the Essendon squad um, and there was players coming in, you, you know that wasn't going to stop them from actually winning the game. I, I, I never for once thought that this was a certainty by any means, especially, I mean, Hawthorne are still a rebuilding side. They're one year into this rebuild um, and with the new coach, obviously. But then, like... I guess when the late changes were announced as well, I don't think it was as bad for Essendon as what I think everyone was making it out to be. Like, out of the the five changes that they had, I think the only two big outs were Ridley and Jake Lever, it has to be said, to be fair. Um, and the plays that they came in, it's not like they, they had... 
top-up players or debutants or anything like that. The only debutant they had was the unused medical sub, which was uh, Alistair Lord. But they brought in Devin Smith, Aaron Francis, Zerk Thatcher, Braden Ham and Kane Baldwin, who are, you know, I think only Baldwin is the only only new player as far as this season goes. So, yeah, five changes is still, you know, you um, they're not ideal um, going into a game. Um, but, yeah, I, I still think, you know, Essendon wouldn't have lost too much hope at the start of the game. But, yeah, in terms of Hawthorne's performance. We, we, we've spoke about this season how much of an impact momentum shifts are having and um, Hawthorne have certainly struggled to stop them this year. We saw against Sydney, um, they couldn't really uh, put a hold on Sydney's last quarter performance after Hawthorne were leading for three quarters. Uh, I think St Kilda as well obviously blew Hawthorne away by 69 points, but neither of those uh performances were nearly as depressing as what we saw on Saturday night from a Hawthorne <laughs> supporter's perspective. Only because, yeah, I guess the circumstances, the pressure was on Hawthorne to win. Um, and then I, I, I thought Hawthorne were the better side for three quarters. Uh, certainly led by, led for most of the game and probably should have led by more. I don't think it should, it should have been a contest at halftime or even three-quarter time. Just so many missed opportunities from from players that you expect uh, to kick goals that they obviously should 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 they shouldn't. Uh, Jack Gunster kicking two goals for he was he was missing from thirty meters out. Uh, Dylan Moore missing you know easy snaps that he usually buries and yeah I mean the list goes on. There was just so many opportunities to kill that game off. I think Hawthorne led by as much as twenty five points. And there was so many chances to just extend that beyond 30, land the KO punch, and it didn't ha- happen. Um, we kept giving Essendon a, Essendon a sniff. Uh, there was a lot of 12-point turnarounds. We gave away a couple of stupid 50-meter penalties. Um, just, yeah, just a lot of wasted opportunities and just kept giving, uh, yeah, Essendon that sniff, which they were eventually going to take and when they did take it um they were unstoppable the crowd got involved and yeah we just couldn't stop that wave and i guess yeah we've spoken about these momentum shifts this year and how do you exactly stop them i think it comes down to your leaders and there was a lack of leadership there from hawthorne which is really disappointing to see because there are a lot of senior players that should be stepping up i.e uh Tom Mitchell, he had 14 touches for the game and only one in the final term, which is pretty damning. James Warple, who's been there for a few years now, he only had two disposals in the second half. Spoke about Jack Gunston uh, kicking two goals for. He could have easily ended the game with six by his standards. Like, they were gettable opportunities. Jago O'Meara, I thought, played his best game. Still didn't do enough. Um, he missed two shots on goal as well that he should be burying. Bruce didn't even have 10 disposals. And when when your side is, you know, struggling in front of the big sticks, Gordo, um, you look to your senior players to try and turn that around. And Luke Bruce, one and only goal for the game, came when he was lining up from 30, 35 metres out directly in front. And it shows that, you know, something's in your head or confidence isn't right when 
you're not kicking a drop punt from directly in front. He had to t- turn around and kick around his body, um, yeah, 30 metres out with no angle whatsoever. So that just shows you they were low on confidence. And Sicily as well, the standing skipper, I thought he was probably Hawthorne's best player, but um, he also m- missed the chance that he should be burying from inside 50. So... Um, yeah, it, it's not, it certainly wasn't good. Um, Hawthorne were on top because of Newcomb's grip hold in the midfield in the first half. I think he had 22 touches, and at one point, Hawthorne had 10 center clearances to Essendon's two, so he was having a major impact. And then I don't know whether Essendon put time into him in the second half, but he only had six um, disposals in the second half as well, and Hawthorne evidently dropped off with. You know, Tom Mitchell not doing much as well. So that's probably why it happens. Um, but yeah, like I said, credit to Essendon. They got themselves back in the game and um, they won it when it was there to be won. They they were just more hungrier. Sorry, I probably spoke on it. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's a very thorough lament into what it's like to lose to the arch nemesis. And so mm. as you said last week, I don't think the loss was that expected. You said the week before with your performance against Melbourne, we're going to be up some weeks, we're going to be down some others. We've got yep. this interesting mix in the, of the rebuild. But I was going to say that a hot take came out over the weekend and Kane Corns, everyone's favourite, came out and said that there'll be no market left for your old uh, veterans anymore like there was last year. So Tom Mitchell, Jaeger Amira, Chad Wingard were all put up on the market, as was Luke Bruce. They all they all fell through. But after that damning uh you know, analysis of their lack of leadership and lack of clutch. Perhaps you agree with him. Perhaps there is no market for those players anymore and their best is beyond them. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's certain players that do well in, um, well, that would do well in a better team. And I think maybe Wingard's one of those players. I think O'Meara and Tom Mitchell. Um, and then there's other players that do do well in, um, in rebuilding sides. And I think, yeah, I, I don't think I agree with them having no value. I think teams that are challenging for a premiership or maybe like one star player away um, will probably think differently. Like Brisbane uh, could do with, say, another small forward like Wingard or, you know, another tallish forward like Gunston. Or, um, I, th- I think there is, certainly is value and it, it it's just so happens that all those players like O'Meara, Mitchell, Wingard, Gunston, Bruce, they're all out of contract either this year or at the end of next year. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it beyond them from actually leaving um, at some point. And, yeah, Hawthorne continuing on with the rebuild and uh, going even younger in the years coming up. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. But, you know, fingers crossed for a, for a win for the Hawks next week so we can have a cheery Nicky G back on the podcast. Hopefully. Another team that's another team that's uh, definitely due for a win is the Western Bulldogs, whose slide down the ladder continues mm. after they got done by the power at Adelaide over on the weekend. It was a tight match. It, it, again, two sides that are showing where they're at. They're, they're, what, three and five for the year now, both of them. One team's on the rise. That's the power. Now they've got, what, three in a row, I think, after losing the first five. The Doggies, however, we've said this all year. They had this reliance on Aaron Norton. He kicked four goals too, did his job, joined in in the key uh, forward markets there and is, is, is the one standing light in terms of how the Bulldogs can score. And all the excuses are there. We understand that. They've, they've got injuries galore, but 
That's not their only problem. They've only scored over 71 points three times this year, the Bulldogs, um, and they've done that against North and Essendon mainly, with both with leaky defences. And it's the same thing they've seen all the time. They get a lot of possessions, not much impact. They get a lot of inside 50s, not, my, not much conversion. And every year it seems that they make the grand final. The next year they can't change their system. They can't adapt if the, if the teams change around them and they find themselves languishing outside the funnels. And that looks like where they're going to end up again this year. But I just don't, I don't understand how a team that can be so good can fall off, you know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks later so drastically. Mm, yeah, it, it's pretty, it's pretty um, damning again, like how a team can go from winning a prelim final by 70 points and then, you know, a few months later, um, well, five months later, losing to uh, that same side at that same ground um, against, you know, this, the same team that's, again, probably worse than what they were in the prelim. Um as far as I guess form goes, how can how can that drop off be so big from the Bulldogs? Um, okay, I, I understand they were without maybe like Bont and Pally. Um, yeah, there was some key personnel missing from the Bulldogs side, but still, uh, that I mean, I'd feel sorry for Bulldog supporters watching that because it's it's pretty upsetting um, going from a being a grand final team to not be a, being able to. Um, yeah, I guess find any sort of um, of that form that they had late last year. It's just, it's honestly unexplainable, and they've obviously got the players to do it. Um, the players haven't changed. Uh, it has to be has to be a coaching thing, I think. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I can't really put my finger on what else it could exactly be, but yeah, there, there's something seriously wrong at the Bulldogs. We'll be back after a quick break. And I just don't feel like a very uh, system-oriented team. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, that seems to be the key to success in the last few years. Richmond, although they played chaos-style football, had a really Mm -hmm. strong system. If they lost a player, the next player comes in, does the role, gets the job done. Melbourne, much the same. It doesn't really matter who's lining up for them. They seem to execute week in, week out. And even the big dynasty teams of the past, Hawthorne, Geelong, Brisbane back in the early 2000s, all the same. Everyone knew what to do when they got there regardless if it was, you know, player 15, player 33, a rookie getting leveled up because of injuries. Mm. And, yeah, it seems, as you said, it, it must be coaching or at least system or at least the, the club structure that prevents them from 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 doing that. And I suppose coaching in a way too when you hear the comments after the game and Beveridge is saying, oh, we did well to, you know, battle on because we copped a few injuries, it could have blown out. It's like, well, that's all well and good if you were playing Melbourne or Brisbane or, or, yeah. or Carlton at home. But when you're playing Port, he's struggled all year and they're, 
you know, fighting doggedly to try and break even, mm. not really a side that you can you say, oh, well, you know, we, we were good to be in the fight there and stay and keep it close. That's like, no, that's a game you should be winning and winning comfortably based on last year's form guides. But on to more positive things, though, let's round out with our highlights and, you know, I'm a Tiger man. No Jimmy on the pod, unfortunately, this week, which means I need to come in with the Tiger Nuffy <laughs> chat and Dusty's return. Not only good for Tiger fans, but it's just good for football. And I think especially in this era of, of sports, often the redemption arc is because the player's done something wrong. So they've, they've gone off and had a misdemeanor off the field or they've been found out to be cheating like the Australian cricket team. This is completely different. This, Dusty's done nothing. He's just gone through some personal issues away from the game and he's come back and his club has supported him, his fans have supported him, and the football community have supported him. And he played a pretty, pretty good game as well. 23 disposals, mm. two goals. Not too bad at all for a first game back after a, a longish break. And just to see how excited his teammates and the fans were to have him out there and how excited he was to be playing back at the MCG against the old foe Collingwood and getting the win as well. So it was a yeah a nice day in the sun for, for Dusty on the weekend. Yeah, and I, I really didn't like some of the comments in the media as well um, because obviously, you know, we know what Dustin's coming back from and... Um, he didn't want to speak to media after the game. And I think that's fair enough, um, considering what he's been going through over the last few weeks. Um, Caroline Wilson actually, you know, came out and publicly backed him and supported him and said, you know, that, that that's completely fair enough. And then uh, on the notorious show of uh, that is footy classified, um, Hutchie and Kane Corns, uh went against Caro and sort of said that, oh, well, Dusty's getting paid the millions. He should be coming out and, you know, talking talking about what he's gone through, talking about his game and whatnot. And I just don't know if I agree with that. I think that's kind of, yeah, I think that's kind of harsh to see. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, again, like we, we know what he's coming back from. Just let, he, let his footy do the talking. Or is, isn't it just enough that he's back on the field kicking goals, winning Richmond games of footy. Um, what, why do we need to hear, you know, hear and talk after the game about um, what it's like for him to be back on the field? Just let him, you know, take his time and, yeah, let his footy do the talking. Mm, absolutely. And the worst case scenario from that is that if he's forced to do those things, then he'll just take more time off because he's... He's obviously not ready for that, hence why he declined the interview. He's ready to play football. He's ready to be around a trusted environment and his family environment and his club environment. Exactly. But above and beyond that, he's not ready yet, and that's more than fair enough. So, yep. yeah, totally agree with you there. It's that, you know, we need to have respect for, for players, but especially when players are clearly and publicly going through mm-hmm. through tough things. Yep, yep. But uh, to get back on the positives, what was your highlight from the week, Nikki G? Um, my highlight, I think, I mean, besides maybe the Essendon game, uh, the Essendon win, sorry, uh, I think Gold Coast upsetting the Swans was probably uh, the only upset for the week, or at least the one no one saw coming. Um, and it was just a fantastic display from Gold Coast because, I mean, it was starting to look like, uh, well, it was just starting to be hard to find where the Gold Coast were going to get their wins from. Um, and they should be a side, I guess, like not challenging for the top eight, but finishing between that ninth to 12th um, area, you would think, or at least pushing or knocking on the door of the top eight. 
you know, Stewie Jew's been there for a few years now. Uh, you feel like the pressure's building, and over the last few weeks, it was kind of hard to see where Gold Coast were going to get their wins from, but um, f- fair play to them. They come out against Sydney again at the SCG, cause an upset. Um, how they do it, I don't know, because, they've, uh, yeah, they did it a couple of years ago, and maybe it's just Stewie Jew knowing uh, Sydney on the back of his hand. Obviously, he was an assistant coach there a while back. Um, but it, it was just that that's the sort of performance we should be expecting to see more of from the Suns, I reckon. Um, it, it, it wasn't one of those wins where, like we see, Took Miller having 40 touches and got and pulling the Suns over the line, or Matty Rowell having 20 tackles, or um, Levi Casbol kicking four or more goals. It was a collective effort. Not one player had over 30 disposals. Not one player kicked more than two goals. It was just an even spread. And I, I guess if you're a Gold Coast Suns fan, one of the very few, you'd be happy with that. Like, it, I think there was, it was just, yeah, an even spread, a collective effort. Um, everyone played their role and it, they just, they shut Sydney down um, at their own game and on their own field. Um, and yeah, obviously Sydney are a quality side that we had tipped as premiership contenders. Maybe we overrated them a little bit, but uh, taking nothing away from Gold Coast, they were fantastic. Absolutely. So on that, you mentioned it was a a good team effort, but uh, one player that did bounce back into somewhat form was Isaac Rakin. Do do we expect too much from him and the top picks in general? Because I feel like, you know, if you go in the top five or top ten and it's like automatically every week it now has to be 25-plus kick two goals, you know, you need to be performing like... Yeah, like Toby Graham or Dustin Martin every week from the age of nineteen onwards. Yeah, I think we 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 do expect a lot from top picks these days, and that's probably because we do see um, a few of the top picks um, performing so well. So, yeah, I guess he's become a victim of yeah, just yeah, top picks overperforming or just um, yeah, being ready at the AFL level. But he, he has been there for a few years now, Rankin. And um, yeah, I think even because he, he even came onto the scene and fired straight away. But I guess it, in fairness um, to, to, I guess, the, the footy community and the media, um, he, he has had a few down weeks, Isaac Rankin. Um, I guess if you spoke to him, he, he would be saying the same thing. And he knows he's capable of, a lot more, so it's good to see him back um, playing his best footy. Um, it has to be said, he was fantastic on the weekend, kicking goals. That's, I mean, he, he doesn't need to be getting um, 15, 20 touches a game. Gold Coast wanting to kick a couple of goals, uh, three, two, three goals, and just be that X factor up forward. And um, yeah, that's exactly what he was on the weekend. So. Um, yeah, would it be too much expecting that every week from Isaac Rankin? Yes, because he's still a young player, but, um, I just, it's just fantastic to see him playing at that level though. Um, and yeah, good for Suns fans as well. Um, yeah, they'll be very pleased that he's playing his best footy again. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's also hard to ask for that for the top picks because they go to the worst clubs. So, you know, you get dumped into a Gold Coast, into a North Melbourne, into an Adelaide. You're mm. not going to be kicking three goals as an X factor if the ball's never in your forward 50. So you can go quiet if you're getting pumped. 
And yeah, you know, the last couple of years, that's what the Suns have been doing. Yeah. Winning five or six games and getting pumped the rest of them. So, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a tough ask sometimes. And hence why we see a lot of top picks try and get drafted away. But I suppose yeah. that's for a deeper and more nuanced conversation. Speaking of that, Dario's Digest is back. Our number one listener has taken the belt and he's not given it up. So, this week, he has this following question. Nico Gordo. Dario from Buxton Real Estate in Ashburton here, giving you another episode of Dario's Digest, giving you something to digest every single week. Just a quick one from me. Is the hype around Maurice Rioli Jr. a little premature? Thanks, guys. Take care. I just think you have to split this one into two. Is he overhyped by people in general, by the media in general, or is he overhyped by Tigers fans? Um... Gee, I don't, I don't know. It's it's actually a tough one. I think he's maybe if he is overhyped, I, I probably don't think he is. Um, it, but it's because of his name, obviously. He's got that Rioli name, um, and that comes with, I guess, a, a, a bit of pressure. Um, it has to be said. I don't think he's overhyped though. He came in as a very raw prospect. It's not like he was a top ten, twenty pick, and people were expecting him to be the next Cyril or you know, like his father, but, um, oh yeah, I think, I think, I, I think a lot of people expected him to be, like to take a bit of time to come into the system, and yeah, I, I think still, he's still finding his way, I guess, at the AFL level, he obviously had his breakout game last week against the Eagles, I thought he was okay again against Collingwood, but I wouldn't really, I don't know about you, Gordo, but I wouldn't really classify him as overhyped. I think that just comes with being a Rioli. Mm. I think so. And I think I think overhyped sometimes maybe, maybe we try and big up his performances more than what they actually are. Mm. So even, like, even against the Eagles, it's like we always want something that a Rioli does to be like this highlight magic that we can splice up in, you know, 10 years' time like we did with Cyril and be like, oh, yeah. look all the amazing things he's, he's done. It's like, well, yeah, but he, he might just be a good footballer. He might just be a decent AFL quality footballer and just do his job <laughs> and not be yeah. and not be special. And that's totally okay as well. He doesn't he doesn't have to. He's, and again, he's it's the opposite of a of a Reagan. He's not he's not pick number three. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I don't. Agree. Yeah. So if you're expecting this top ten quality caliber superstar to play, you know, three hundred plus games, well, you're, that's you've got it wrong because that's that's probably not what's going to happen. I mean, he, he might he get definitely there one be serviceable. He might he might end yeah. up being a star one day. Um, but how many games is he into his AFL career as well? Or maybe I think he's played four or five games. Um, well, yeah. not 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 four ten games. anyway. So I think yeah, he's just going to need a bit of time just to yeah. Forge's path. Absolutely. All right, speaking of time, we're almost out of it, but we'll wrap up with three of our closing questions, the other hot topics we didn't get to this week, and uh, panic stations are happening, okay? Mm-hmm. And only in the media, of course, because it's round eight, and what happens is that you run out of things to talk about quite quickly because yeah. apparently Fox Footy's declared that the ladder is set, so we can just fast-forward to finals. And therefore, every team that's below some of the ladder will lose every week from now on. And so, therefore, we need to think about priority picks and equalization and how do we how do we make North good again and how do we make Adelaide good again and all the way up until uh until until Saturday, Suns need saving too. But then they win against Sydney, so they're like, oh, well, 
that doesn't count because it was a fluke and they're going to lose <laughs> next week. So are yeah. we worried about the, the gap between top and bottom teams getting bigger or is this just media for media's sake? Well, I'll start off by saying uh, not only do I think the, the top eight is set, but I think the grand final is set. I think that's the one we should be talking about. I think you may as well just play uh, Brisbane and Sydney now. Um do like a, I guess, a 15-game series between them or however long it's left. It's really just them two. I, like, I don't think it, there's anyone else that can seriously be challenging them. Um, and it's been a while since we could we could really say that at round eight, um, pick two teams that we're so certain on playing in the grand final. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it's a panning stations. I certainly believe that the gap is quite big between first... And last, I've, I've been pretty vocal about my views on North Melbourne, on where they're at. Um, West Coast, I don't think, obviously, they've got their own um, COVID issues over there. But, yeah, the, the gap's quite big. Um, yeah, from first to last, the, the gap's quite big from the top two to the rest. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably on that side of the fence actually Gordo where I mean I'm not one to be giving away compensation picks or anything like that but um, yeah I don't think this season it's it's more equal than what it was in or more unpredictable than what it was mm. in um, previous years gone by Does that ruin the viewing experience for you though? Because statistically speaking like overseas the Premier League is better when the total race is between two teams and the yeah. NBA is like gets more ratings ratings wise, as opposed to in unpredictability when it was, you know, golden state warriors versus the Cleveland Cavaliers for, for three, four years in a row, mm-hmm. you seem to get higher ratings because people get hyped up for that big showdown at the end of the year. Same right now, we've got Liverpool and Man City well ahead battling it out by themselves with no one else really in contention. So does it, does it matter if the gap is that big? I don't think it does. I don't think it. I don't think the competition has to be equal um, in terms of wins and losses and um, unpredictability of who's going to win the premiership this year. I guess the, the, the important thing when it comes to being equal is that um, that every team, if you will, is going to get a chance of being at the top of the ladder. Like Melbourne's, Melbourne's time at the top will come to an end, and someone else will replace them. Um, that's not what we see. Overseas, and I guess that's something um, very niche and something that we love about AFL is that you know eventually North Melbourne will become a good side, and the same with Adelaide, and the list goes on. Um, yeah, Melbourne six years ago, uh, where no one would have predicted them to be, you know, on the verge of a dynasty um, this year, and so on. So. I guess that's the important thing uh, when it comes to um, an equal competition is that, you know, we continue that and we, we don't want it to be like the Premier League where we know Man City are going to win the, the championship every single season. Um, and, yeah, I, I, yeah, in terms of wins and losses, I don't think it's a bad thing that we already know who the grand finalists are going to be because there's still... I guess each, each, each supporter group um, knows where their club is at and I guess they all have something to be excited about, whether it's you know challenging for top four, um, making finals for the first time in six years, um, 
or even the the teams at the bottom bottom end of the ladder um, looking for new things to be excited about every week um, in their rebuild. Um, so yeah, I don't think it yeah it doesn't certainly doesn't make the season any less appealing whatsoever because I guess passion for your the team that you support overrides you know winning the flag I guess um, you, you know like Hawthorne supporters know they're not going to win the flag this year but we're still out there uh, cheering our team on and hoping we um, see some sort of improvement so yeah I, I guess yeah that's where I'll probably stand yeah. on that point. And you play the games for a reason because, you know, Mason Cox can come out and destroy you in a preliminary final and ruin a dynasty. So yep. it's not all written in the stars. You have to play those games. Mm. You also have to play the games because Brownlow medal votes count. Is this now Cripps medal to lose after eight weeks? Yeah, it's pretty hard to... Uh, I, I, like I said last week, it's, it, it's either between Cripps and Neil, but you would have to say Cripps is the outright leader at this point. Um Every almost every game he's played, uh, I think he's he's missed one game. Um, but yeah, yeah, he'd be getting votes in every single game he's played, um, and that would either be two or three. Uh, yeah, at least two or three. It has to be said. So <laughs> this could be a record-breaking season. He's just been unbelievable, uh, considering where he's come from as well. Last season, where um, he dropped his standards off a bit, was playing injured. But he's just come out this season firing. Uh, I don't think he's had a game where he's had a, under 30 disposals. He's kicking goals as well. He's kicking one, two, bags, three and four. Uh, yeah, he's unstoppable. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely his to lose. There we go. And if he does win it, I think the Blues finish top four as well. So it would be lids off. The lids yeah. will be lost, not not the middle. Speaking of getting lost, though, the last comment here, and we'll go through it quickly, but the nightclub seven. We know that the Eagles are under pressure from the mm-hmm. uh, COVID protocols and catching COVID over in WA. They're always a couple of years behind the trend, and so they, they're finally having their pandemic now. But, um, you know, they got fined because they, they went out to the nightclub and they're not meant to because COVID's floating about and the yeah. Eagles are already stuffed. So they got fined by their club. Now, people are saying they should have been banned, which kind of makes no sense if you have no more players because then they just wouldn't be able to play at all. So I can understand why they didn't ban them. But then the AFLPA came out and said, actually, that's wrong. Like, you can't even find them. Like, players have been living in protocols for the last three-plus years. Like, how can we possibly expect them to not live their lives now that it's not a legal requirement to do so? So where do you stand? Should they, should they have been fined? Should they have been banned? Is it just a storm in a teacup and... Were they fined by the club, though, or the AFL? By the club. I think that's. I think that's totally fair enough. I mean, we, as a West Coast player, you should, and the season that they've had so far, you should, they should know better. Uh, like I understand players deserve, um, you know, a life outside of football, but common sense has to prevail. You know, your club is struggling uh, with COVID. Uh, there has to be some level of responsibility um, that you need to take. And if that means not going out to a nightclub, um, in the situation that WA is in at the moment, um, like you said, they're probably a couple of years behind um, everywhere else in Australia in terms of the, the pandemic. Um, they're, they're copying their turn now, which is unfortunate, but you you gotta you gotta sacrifice um like every other team has done over the last few years um 
you, you cannot be when when your team is stripped of numbers you cannot be going out and going to nightclubs of all places and I think they had every, I think Adam Simpson had every right to be upset because all it takes is one person to get sick and then it spreads throughout the whole team and when there's a whole group doing it you just got to think like have you been have you been living under a rock for for the last like three months you, you, your club is at the bottom of the ladder getting smashed by you know a hundred points most weeks and I don't know you, you, you'd expect better from from their players uh, it, it's you'd be disappointed if you're a West Coast fan and if the club wants to take action um, I mean, they've got a set of standard, don't they? So, I I totally respect West Coast taking a stance and yeah, um, giving these players, I guess, what they deserve. I I just think it's it's pretty. It's just a stupid thing for them to be doing. And it shows the stark difference at the moment between the the culture at West Coast versus the culture at, at Fremantle, where, as we said on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, they made a pact to be like. We're just not going to get COVID because then it will ruin our season. So that shows the difference. And I suppose if West Coast wants to enforce some penalties, then that's within their rights because, yeah, that's what the club is. And at the end of the day, they are employed by the club to play. And if you you can't play because you went out and got your, well, didn't get yourself COVID, but for yeah. all intents and purposes did that, then, yeah, you might find yourself in a little bit of strife. So Absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. We've come to the end of another bumper episode there. That's the end of round eight. We'll be joining you again on Friday to preview all the action ahead of us. Uh, But until then, uh, follow all the news as it breaks on the Footy Live app and uh, you'll know where to find us come Friday for your tips, previews, and put your house on a picks. See you then.